Okay, James, game two is in the books. We are starting to look ahead to game three, but we have to dissect game number two. What are your grand takeaways? They lost. Series is tied. Does that work? That's, that's, that, that works. That's very detailed, very <laughs> um, thorough. Well, here, I'll, yeah. I'll go a little bit more granular for you. At least played really, really good in the first period. Edmund gets that goal with two seconds left, which is a bit of a backbreaker. Leafs come out really poorly in the second period and that's that's pretty much the game and took a lot of really dumb penalties and you know it's it's a shame because that game I think was potentially there for them if they played just a little bit smarter and, and they didn't so and and you know Keith said it after the game and that that's more kind of the Tampa team they were expecting uh, you know they they kind of maybe did get a little bit of a freebie in game one Leafs played fantastic Tampa but did not play well in, in game one so now it's a now it's a best of five. Leafs still have um, they still have the the two home games left. Three games to go in Tampa. Going to be interesting. So you mentioned discipline. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fourth line. We should talk about um, the support, I guess, after Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Uh, we'll talk about John Tavares specifically. Uh, but obviously, I, like you touched on it, we have to start with the penalties. There, there were just like obviously too many they handed tampa seven power plays tampa scored three times um obviously penalties were an issue in the first game it's just their penalty kill was like lights out and if you keep handing tampa power play power play power play like eventually you're gonna they're gonna score is it simple as like they just have to be more disciplined like is is there anything you can take from that beyond the simplicity of that okay so like here's something that was kind of rolling around in my brain after game two. Like, do you think, I think part of this is the Leafs are trying to play on the edge more than they did all season. Do you think that's fair to say? Like they're trying to play. I think that's fair to say. And I think it probably has something to do with past playoff experience. Yeah. So they're trying to like kind of change their DNA a little bit in this series. And you know, I think that can be hard to do. I think it can be hard to go into the playoffs and try and be something different than what you've been all season and what what's brought you success. So that's kind of, you know, I'm thinking about it, you know, potentially writing something today, and that's kind of what I'm thinking about. And it, it's possible, I think, for the Leafs to come into the playoffs and play with a little bit more edge, but it might just take them a little bit of – might they, they might still just be trying to figure that that part out, where the, where the line is. I think the difficult part about that, James, is they're basically – saying to certain players their fourth line especially like you need to bring that in some ways and that's Clifford that's Simmons and it's almost like it's it's how do you if you're those guys you're gonna get five to seven minutes like max so those guys are trying to like give it everything they've got in their limited ice time and they're trying to provide exactly what you're talking about and it can be difficult sometimes to walk that line like we saw it with Clifford in game one. That's a revved up, I'm trying to provide physicality, energy type of penalty. And it was the same thing from Simmons in game two. Like that penalty against Belmar was just like, it was just unnecessary. Like it didn't accomplish anything. Well, it was the Clifford, you know, but like, it was, yeah, it's the same thing. Just, it's the same thing. But, but it's almost like you've kind of, and we talked about this, I think, after game one or maybe even before game one when we were talking about the series. It's, it's almost like, they've kind of set this up in some ways by doing exactly what you're talking about. Like Keith went into the series saying, this is going to be a physical series. That's why we want 
Clifford and Simmons in there, and then Clifford and Simmons in the first two games both take penalties that, that in Clifford's case, don't actually burn them, but in Simmons' case, burn them twice. Well, and I mean, I think you take a five-minute major at the start of a playoff series. I mean, it's it's great that the Leafs call, killed it off and it gave them momentum and everything, but you you don't want to do that. I mean, like, you're, you're fortunate that... No. You're for, I mean, Tampa could have scored a couple of goals in that, you know, if... Yeah, they could have scored three times and the game is over, right? So, you don't want the guys that are going to play seven minutes a game or eight minutes a game in the playoffs having that that kind of an impact. And I don't know. I, th- that's just, that's my kind of thoughts on that is, you know, and there, there's, th- it wasn't just Simmons. I mean, Simmons had, had probably the worst penalties in game two, but there, you know, there were some other bad penalties and just like over aggressiveness and you want you want yeah. the Kerfoot hold at the end of the first is is a is a bad one. The Leafs DNA has been a team that doesn't take a lot of penalties like that. That's kind of what they've been the last few years, you know. And they, they haven't gotten a lot of power plays, but they also haven't had to kill a lot of penalties. You know, they've been they've been one of the the top teams in terms of discipline. Um, so I just want but I James, wonder you know about what? like trying to just completely change your DNA like as soon as the playoffs start. I don't like it, and I I didn't like it going into the series. Like this is not hindsight for us. But you mentioned the power plays. That's the other part of this. The Leafs got two early power plays and didn't score. Yeah. And like I wrote in my notes, like that's gonna cut. Like that you can't miss those opportunities. But Tampa did a much better job against their power play. Like they didn't allow a lot in the middle of the ice. They didn't allow the Leafs to kind of move it around. And you miss those two opportunities, and like it, that's hockey, right? You miss those. Obviously, it's gonna come back around to bite you. In all likelihood, I thought I um, thought the Lightning defense was a lot more made made better, yeah, yeah made a lot bigger impact. And I, was it Tavares that said after the game that kind of you can yeah I think I believe it was him and it, it was yeah, in your story. Was. He was just talking about how big they are and how much ice they can. Like McDonough was very noticeable in that game. Hedman obviously was 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 a monster in that game. You know, four points and all over the ice and. But they, they just they're good and they always have a good defenseman on the ice and there's just not a lot of there's yes. not a lot of weaknesses there. Well, James, this is these are the the sizes of their their defensemen. So Bogosian is 6'2", 200. Chernak is 6'3", 230. Calfoot is 6'4", 227. Victor Hedman is 6'6", 241. Uh, Ryan McDonough is 6'1", 215. Uh, who else we got here? Jan Ruta, who didn't play in game two, is six three two zero four. Mikhail Sergachev six three two sixteen. I mean, they might have like they might have like, the biggest. They might have the biggest average yes. blue line in the league. Has to be right. I mean, unless Chara bumps the Islanders up there, but Noah Dobson probably brings them down. I mean, you, you could see it, and, and the Tavares said it that they just didn't feel like there was like a lot of ice, you know, and that's what that's really gonna make it difficult at even strength for the Leafs to be as dominant an even strength team as they were during the regular season. Well, and so you mentioned Tavares um, through two games. He doesn't have a five on five point. He has two five on five shots. And what I noticed, and I wish I'd added in my story, but I just thought of it after is like, they're just giving him no time. Like, and he's not obviously that quick. They're just like all over him. And so like early in that game, um, his line had some shifts in the offensive zone, but like they, they kind of didn't go anywhere. Like it was just like spin, spin, spin cycle, not amounting to anything. And so a lot of the focus today is going to be on their fourth line. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but it's a, 
it's it's not a little. It's concerning to me that I don't know where they're going to generate offense besides Matthews and Marner. And if you look through the series, obviously a lot of it has not been played at five on five, but Matthews, Marner, and Bunting have four of their five five on five goals, and the other one is is Jake Muzzin. So like I'm a that would concern me a little bit. Like what would you do if you're Sheldon Keefe? With that line, what do you do for Tavares? Like, how concerning is any of that? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. I think there's maybe a little bit too much focus on the fourth line. I think probably what they're going to do is Simmons comes out and Clifford goes in. I think that, and I think that's probably all they're going to do. You know, I think Keefe is still going to want that element in the lineup in case the game gets out of hand. Um, and I don't think that, that that doesn't like fundamentally change a lot on that fourth line. Like the fourth line was was particularly bad in game two. Like they didn't play a lot. The the underlying numbers for them were brutal. And you look back at, I mean, you're the you were the one that pointed this out. I mean, the, the numbers with Clifford and then Sheldon Keep said this as well. The numbers with Clifford on that fourth line were that was a that was a, a better line than any other formation. So I, I suspect that that's what they do for game three and. That would mean the games that, that Jason Spezza doesn't play again, um, which is unfortunate because Spezza has been so good in the playoffs the last two years. Um, but I think the bigger problem is what you're identifying is that they, they, they're not they're not getting enough five on five. They're not generating enough from I would say both Nylander and Tavares, even though they're on yes. th- even though they're on different lines, and Nylander has a pretty good excuse because if anyone's ever had food poisoning, it's, it'd be pretty pretty fucking hard to play a hockey game at that pace when you you're coming off food poisoning. It's amazing that he that he didn't miss the game at all. Um, so you know you you hope that the Leafs have to hope that he's back at full strength. Um, I just I, what you're saying makes a lot like Tavares just looks slow in this series you know and you're you're mm-hmm. playing a team with that kind of size and mobility on the back end and if you're slow they're gonna catch you and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna hit you and they're gonna take the puck away um so i think that uh, that that line almost needs someone that can like get the puck and that can move the puck and help with the breakout and get around those d and really kind of and that sounds a lot like Neander, doesn't it? He, like that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm thinking is like he's someone who can kind of create some more space. Like all due respect to Kerfoot and Mikheyev, those guys just can't do that. Yeah, Mikheyev hasn't been hasn't been super noticeable so far. And so James, like that that ties into like what you do with your fourth line depends on what you're planning to do with Tavares because the other thing like that they're going to have to start contemplating is matchups because now the series is shifting to Tampa. John Cooper is going to do everything he can to get Anthony Sorelli out against Matthews, which means some other line is going to have to play against Tampa's top line of, of Kucherov, Stamkos, and Palat. And I'm betting that's going to be Tavares. And so that's the other consideration. It's like, well, do you, do you trust Neilander and Tavares enough, even if you have like McKayev there? To potentially play against top Tampa's top Whoa. line, do you have a choice? Because like I don't know that you have a choice because the way that they're structured in the first couple of games, I just think you're you're kind of too diminished on on lines two and three. Like you, Neilander with Engvall and Camp, like you're leaving him alone, and Tavares with Mikheyev and Kerfoot, like you're kind of leaving him alone. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, it's kind of a conundrum as to what they do. Yeah. For me. And it, the two players that have played pretty well in the series have been Kampf and, and Engvall. So you, Kampf has been great. Yeah. 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 I mean, if 
he's look he's he's passed the eye test and in terms of like expected goals and all those things he's the top player on the team by a significant margin and he's been starting every shift in the defensive zone so you know I suspect that he's going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting uh, in the D zone down in Tampa so they're going to want to give him two good wingers probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to start Nylander in the defensive zone almost every single shift uh, on the road so I suspect that you will see that change happen but. As you're kind of alluding to, the the problem, part of the problem that was there when Nylander was playing with Tavares and that line just wasn't really rolling for a lot of the season is they were giving up too much defensively. You know, yeah. you look at, you look at some of the, you know, the, the war and the RAPM and like some of that stuff for when Tavares is on the ice and they're giving up quite a bit, uh, you know, in, in terms of just chances when he's on the ice and you start playing against, you know, Cooper's going to be able to to target that line. I think the thing you want to do is just put that line in the offensive zone as much as you can, right? And then, like, Cooper has to decide, do I want to do I want to start my best players in the defensive zone? Um, yeah, you know what, James? I like that. And I think the way you, you might do it is maybe you go back to that Mikheyev, Kampf, Engvall line, which was so good. And literally... Just anytime there's a defensive zone draw, if you're not giving it to Matthews, give it to that group and then try to force Tavares into the offensive zone as often as possible. So maybe you play, I don't know, maybe you play Tavares with Nealander and Kasha or Nealander and Kerfoot. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of. It. But this is, this is a, like something we talked about throughout the year is like, this was a question, like, how are they going to be able to, to score Outside of the Matthews line, obviously their power play is is part of that. Well, um, penalty kills apparently part of that. <laughs> the penalty kills got another short and a goal in in game two, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's it's concerning. Um, I think Neander has looked pretty good, but the other issue is like he's not played a lot, and part of that is what you're talking about with Camp is like a lot of what they did in game two. Another thing I wish I had mentioned in my story, but forgot. Um, is they were just sending Mikheyev, Kampf, and Engvall out for all the defensive zone draws, and they were winning them and getting into the other end. So that was time taken away from Nylander. But that's part of the problem when you when you play him on the third line is like suddenly you kind of lose him a little bit in the, in the mix. Like he paid 10, 10 and a half minutes in uh, game two, five on five, which was fourth fewest among their forwards. Not by much, but like still. Yeah. I mean, I think we, so. I think we should be clear too, Jonas, that you know, there's been lots of positives in this series. Like I would say, like, oh yeah, we'll get into if, those. For if sure. you look at on balance, like if you broke it down period by period, the Leafs have been the better team in the series. So, you know, it's not like sky is falling. It's just kind of what adjustments they need to make now that they're going on the road and and given the way that the second period unfolded. And I think that if the Leafs are more disciplined and if they capitalize on their power plays a little bit better, it's you know, it's a different story and. The other thing that was maybe bad news for the Leafs is that Vasilevsky looked looked very, very good in, in that game. I mean, they were able to beat him three times, but, you know, especially early on, like, the the Leafs had a couple of chances that, that he made great saves in the first period, and then Hedman gets the goal with two seconds left, and that first period could have been had a much different story if Vasilevsky wasn't as good as he was. Yeah, I, I do think Tampa did a better job of keeping them more to the outside and if like you look at like the heat map it's a little bit more outside it's not as uh, it's it's okay i mean but yeah like that's an issue and and so like i know 
it seems we're focusing on a lot of these issues, but it's a playoff series, man. Like it's short. Like you have these issues all manifest into losses and like your season can be done really quick unless you fix these things. Um, so we, we kind of touched on the fourth line. You think they'll put in Clifford. What would you do if you were Keefe? Like what, what would your, be your move? Would you put in Spezza? Like part of this again is like what you do with Tavares because suddenly there's an extra forward hanging around that you got to find a spot for. And maybe you can make like a fourth line of Blackwell, Kasha and Spezza. Like that's what I would do. That's kind of like where I would end up probably. Yeah. I, do you think they're going to do that? I don't think they're going to do that. I think that if Spezza plays, they're going to take someone else out. And I don't know who that would be. I mean, you could take Simmons. Well, no, someone in addition to Simmons. Because I think because oh, I think Clifford's well, going to play. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. I think you're probably right. Well, I wouldn't put Clifford back in. <laughs> I know, but I'm but, saying like I like I, I I'm, I'm no. I think you're I right. Think I think want. that's what they will do. That's not what I would do. I like I just don't. Yeah. I just don't think you can have another line that that's like, because if you have the camp line and now you have a fourth line, that's not going to score. Like you're really, not only that Jonas, really but on the road, up. I would worry more about that line getting targeted by like, you know, Cooper's going to, going to yes. roll Kucherov and Stamkos and his big guns out against that line when he can, they're going to have to be, yes. they're going to have to be smarter and, and better defensively. And the other thing I would say too, is, I mean, I know he didn't play a lot, but I thought Kasha looked like a guy that, had not played in a long time yes. in game two. I, I thought he was fine in game one, but it could be that, you know, the playoff pace trying to come back and play every second night is going to be hard for him given, I mean, he, he, he had barely practiced and, and Kash has only played what's he's played like 45, 50 NHL games in the last two and a half years. Like he's just hasn't had a lot of time. Yeah. I think your first game back, you tend to have like that adrenaline and like, I thought he was totally in, fine in the first game. He was. He had a couple assists. He played. I think he played like 14 minutes, but he looked game two. So five on five. Again, he was part of that fourth line. He played, and he moved up eventually, but he played just under eight minutes, zero shots, zero attempts. Like, he just wasn't. He wasn't moving as, uh, as good. As impactful. Yeah. yeah. But but to, to, to bring it to a close on that fourth line, they played the full line. They played 155, no, 151 together. Shot attempts in that stretch, 151, were six to nothing for Tampa, and Tampa scored a goal. Shots were five nothing. Like so, it's that, almost like, like he didn't put that line out that again after that. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. I don't think he did after they scored. He he that just goal, started splitting it up and like mixing guys in on the different lines, right? Like getting Blackwell out. And, yes. Yeah. So let's take a break, and then we'll talk about some of the the things uh, that have gone positively for the Leafs, and then we will get into the pod bag. All right, James. So some positives for the Leafs from game Let, two. Here, I got one yep. for you. Yeah, go ahead. G- guess who the two highest scoring players in the NHL playoffs are after the first few it. days. Austin <laughs> Matthews and Mitch Marner. Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have five points. So, you know, that yep. that narrative is is dead. You know, they've, they've produced, they've stepped up, uh, you know, and now it's kind of, there's going to be a Who lot more. going to help them? Yeah, it's like more pressure on the rest of the team, really. Well, I got to say, so the numbers for them, like they scored a couple goals. The numbers for the underlying numbers for them are not great in game two, but they scored a couple goals. And that play that Matthews makes on the bunting goal, that fantastic. is like, yeah. if you're putting, like if, if he, like you're putting together like a reel of like his best plays from the season, that's on there. Like that second effort, like that was against, I think that was against McDonough, uh, where he just levels well, McDonough. It really shows the size and strength. You combine the size and strength of Matthews with how well he can skate. 
and his balance, and he can go up yeah. against anybody. Like he could probably knock over the biggest guy in the league. You know, he's yeah. Actually, one of like when I, I did a story on on his defensive play, one of the clips I had was about his physicality, and he it was a clip from a game against Seattle where he absolutely leveled Jamie Alexiak, who's like what is Jamie Alexiak like six two, seven six, six? Yeah, like he's a monster. He's huge. Um, but to your point, yeah, continue. Jamie Alexiak's dad lives in my neighborhood in Toronto, and he's six foot eleven. Wow, <laughs> that's a my family's a tall family, but the Alexiaks are on another level. Um, so you know, and the, I remember early on in, in Matthew's career, he's this great big guy, and he came into the league. He was he was heavier than he is now. He was he came in at like two twenty. He had put on a lot of weight as a young guy because thinking he needed that to play in the NHL. And, uh, he didn't hit at all. You remember he used to be like, I remember he used to be like bottom 20 in the entire NHL and like hits per minute in his first like year or two in the league. That's completely changed. You know, he's added that element to his game and, you know, everyone's, you know, sometimes that's the perfect example of how, uh, physicality and, and hitting can create opportunities. You can, can create turnovers, can create goals and, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of more, the Leafs need like a smarter brand of physicality than just like the after the whistle nonsense and hitting guys who don't have the puck and stuff like that. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. It, it, like the, that other stuff doesn't really do anything. Like it just, I mean, you just take penalties, but that's a, obviously a huge development for the Leafs that Matthews and Marner have looked as good as they have. I didn't think Bunting looked like himself, which isn't surprising, he, but he, he obviously scored a goal. He wasn't yeah. skating the way he normally does. Like you, he had like kind of—I don't know if you call it like a hitch in his stride or not or whatever—but like I thought that he was fine. Like he 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 played hard. So you know, I, I think he's like a net positive, but he's not at full capacity, and that's part of why. I mean, there was this debate about the Leafs' forward depth and and their scoring depth coming into the series, and it's part of why I disagreed with some of the discourse online that was saying that the Leafs had so much more depth than the Lightning. You know the reality is the Leafs. The Leafs are coming in with we didn't at the we didn't think Kasha was going to play. I mean, he's playing, but he's not at his capacity. He's not what he he was for long stretches during the season. Bunting's also not his normal self, and they're not playing Spezza. So you add all those things in, and you know they've they got two guys that are that are playing hurt up front, and and then they got two guys who really can't generate hardly any offense at all, and Simmons and Clifford that have played games. Um, that's that's a lot of your lineup that's not the same as it was during the regular season. Yeah. Well, and then you add in some guys who are kind of like specialisty types like Camp and like Engvall to a degree. He scored a bit during the regular season, but it's like suddenly you, you're not as you don't have as many options as you might have in other ways. I just think it's closer than on paper that yes, it might look just just because oh, yeah. of yeah, because of some of those like those extra things that are layered in there. All right. Well, one other um, pretty positive development from the first two games is how well Jake Muzzin has played and, and obviously how well Muzzin has played with Brody. That pair has just looked great. And like that was one of my huge questions. And I, I didn't think it made sense to to thrust Jake Muzzin after all the time he'd missed into such a difficult role again. But credit to him, credit to the Leafs. Like he's looked great. And that pair has been really successful so far. So he's been using that pair in the offensive zone more than his other defense pairs, which is which well. Is- a lot of that, I think, 
has had to do not a lot. Some of it has to do with when Tampa is is put out the Stamkos line, they're on the ice, and some of those were for offensive zone mm-hmm. draws. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but yeah, what what are the numbers from game two? I didn't see that. I'm just looking at overall for the series and. In in terms of like offensive zone starts, that Muzzin and Brody are getting more of them than the other D pairs, which is which is interesting. I, I agree that they've been good, and you know Muzzin's playing through an injury, an undisclosed injury. Uh, obviously, he's 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 had at least three injuries that we know of this season. Uh, is he thirty three years old? Is that right? I believe he's thirty three yeah. thirty three years old. And uh, but I think what what you're seeing the the thing with like. Brody and Muzzin, like they're not the fastest guys, but they're just kind of, it's kind of like the old thing that, that Mike Babcock used to say about Ron Hainsey is like the nowhere to stand kind of thing. When you watch Muzzin out there, it's like, yeah, you know, Tampa was buzzing during the, during game two, a couple of times and I'm watching like, Oh, is Muzzin going to get, is he going to get there? Is he going to be able to get that guy? And it's like, Oh yeah, he got there. Like, you know, he, he was able to like put himself in the right spot. It's like an old man game. (laughs) Basically, like, and Brody is just like a master with his stick and like his. I think Brody's timing been. Fan- his- he's been fantastic yes. in this series. He's he's yes. been great. He's been one of their best players for so sure. Their best players in terms of uh, expected goals at even strength in the series so far. Number one is is Camp, my guy, the dirty work man, but by Camp by a lot. Number two, which is, is nuts, James. Like, what, can you do you you have his numbers there? What's his offensive zone star percentage? Oh, it's like seven percent or something. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> he's nuts. only he's only been on for one offensive zone faceoff at five on five. That's crazy. And yeah, he was. I'm looking at it. He was. What is he? Ninety percent in game two. Camp is number one expected goals. Uh, Brody Muzzin are two and three, and then it's uh, Engvall, Marner, Kerfoot, Riley, Matthews. And I think that, that that matches the eye test. Like I would say those are the players that have had the best series so far at even strength. Yeah, it was so it was a little bit of a step back for Lilligren and Giordano in game two. Their numbers are not very good. They're right not now. very good. And they're and like you're pointing out, they're starting I think a lot of more yeah. shifts. Not a lot, but more shifts in the D zone. Yeah, they're getting um, some and, of the heavy lifting. I and I don't know that that's what you're gonna want to do in Tampa. Well, so that's an interesting question. And I think the other part of it is Labushkin has taken a penalty in each game, a minor and has looked at times a little overexposed. Like, would you make any changes on D? Would you put Justin Hall in? Like, what would you do? Not yet? I don't know. I mean, I think that if you're committed to that strategy of having some, like, physicality in the lineup, I think keeping him probably makes sense. I like the way Labushkin's played in front of the net. Like, he's, he's game two, he was really, really aggressive with some of Tampa's top players. He was clearing the crease. I think he's doing some things that you just, with him, you just need him not to go over the line. And I, I don't know if he can do that or not. But if you go, if you decide that you're going to go to a more skilled lineup, then you put Spezza and Hall in. That's really kind of the well, decision there. So to your point, he had in like 13 and change at five on five, he had five hits um, and he took four hits. He was the noticeable. Problem, yeah, he was. And sometimes. Yeah. What do you do with the, I know you're going to say, what, what do you do with the yeah, pairings, right? If you, if, you bring Hall, if you bring Hall in, he like, he's never shown an ability to play with Riley. So then you got to scramble your other pairings and. That's the problem. Do you, do you want to do that? The other thing you could do is you could play Hall with Giordano and you could play Lilligren with Riley. Now, Lilligren has played some with Riley. Their defensive numbers are awful. Their offensive numbers are really good, but their defensive numbers are not good. So, and you know, I I think Logan's looked. I think Logan's looked okay in the series. Like, I don't think that. 
Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're giving up. They've given up. That pairing has given up quite a few chances. So it's just something to I'm to, in the minority, James. Like I, I, I trust Justin Hall more than some of those guys. But again, like, like you're, you're saying, it just creates problems with the pairs that I don't Hall, know. Hall became yeah. like, he was such a great positive story last year. And then the first half of the season, both he and Muzzin didn't play well. And Hall became kind of like the whipping boy. And after they acquired Labushkin, there was, there's been like a lot of push from the fan base for Hall to come out of the lineup. Um, yeah, but, I think, you know, what I think happened is like what got missed is the second half he had. It's almost like he couldn't escape like the stench of the first half when well, he played a lot better in the second half. And obviously part of that is who he played with. I think part of it too, is that like what Labushkin does well is like really, you can really notice it. Like it, just yes. the battles he's getting into. And whereas the way that Hall plays the things that he's good at, or it's kind of like he's tall and has a stick and he like gets in the lane and he, he like, it's sometimes it's harder to make his own entry on him. And, you know, like potentially maybe that Corey Perry goal, maybe Hall. It's, I mean, I, I didn't, it was hard to get, I don't know if you saw in the building better, but on, on television, it was hard to see exactly how that play developed. Um, a bad change, obviously. And I don't know if that was yeah. all on Labushkin or, or it was on the players getting off or whatever, but Hall just seems to be able to, to skate well and get his stick in the lanes. And he's just, he's not going to be in those like dog fights the way that Labushkin is every shift. Well, and you know what else he, Hall does well is he's a good penalty killer. And you wonder if after game two, when Tampa scores three power play goals, if that's something they think about just because of that. I don't know. Did you notice? I didn't. I'd have to go back and watch the penalty kills again. Did you notice something with the Leafs defense when they were up against the the Tampa power play? I mean, I saw Marner Marner said that Tampa has been obviously been like scouting their penalty kill and like looking for holes after struggling in game one. Well, some of it is like bad breaks, right? Like TJ Brody loses his stick. I think that was on the first one. Um, he loses his stick. David Camp doesn't know he's lost his stick. He passes in the puck. He can't get the puck. And then Tampa scores. That Yeah, I actually, I think that was the second one, the Kucherov goal, I think. Um, so that's just like a bad break. Um, but yeah, like they're going to adjust to... Leafs are pretty aggressive. I don't know if I've seen a team in a situation pass to a guy that <laughs> doesn't have the, doesn't have a stick. Um, but you know, but I, so I'm looking. Who are the goals against? Power play goals against were all against Brody and Muzzin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So something to consider. Well, like mobility would be a concern with that pairing in in that kind of setting. So well, it's funny. Like their their penalty killing numbers during the regular season, very small sample size, were excellent. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I think they, I think the coaching staff has some really interesting decisions as to what to do. And like this is, this is what's really hard for a coach in a playoff series. It's like, when do you press the button? What what what's well? You what don't want to like go- you don't want it to be like panic. Like you're like changing things yes. every every game and players have to adjust every game. And there's a bunch of different stuff going on. And well, but it's like sometimes like do you wait? too long do you make the move too early and i think what we've seen from keith in the past in those previous two playoff series is he was either too aggressive or not aggressive enough and so i'm curious to see how he strikes a balance now that they've lost a game and certain parts of their lineup are not working jason spezza is not speaking today on the off day matthews jack campbell giordano so i wonder if that means that spezza is not playing 
Nah, I don't think that's how that works. All right. I just saw that there was... But, but hey, it's possible like that they've already decided, but I don't think so. Let's take a break. Let's get to the pod bag. Okay, James, it's pod bag time. Local restaurant time. Support your local restaurants. Have you had any good takeout in the last little bit? Uh, no, we have not. I've been I've been thinking about it though. I kind of like just like some of like the local like pubs and stuff out here, and it, it feels weird like ordering that food in. But I probably should do it just because you should. It's, it's more convenient with like the kids and everything, not to like actually take them to a restaurant. Yeah, it's actually a really good idea, and then you don't have to do anything. You just get a great meal. Like I'm staring at a piece. I got a piece of chocolate cake with my name on it that I got to eat before I hop a flight to Tampa. I, uh, I Uber eats uh, a happy meal for my daughter one day. That was, wow. that, that was supporting my local McDonald's, not a local restaurant. Well, it is, it's in the neighborhood. I've never done that before. It was, I didn't have a car that day and it was like raining and it was just me and, and my daughter who's three and I was like, what the hell am I going to do for dinner? We don't have any food. It's like, I know. And it's like completely ridiculous what it costs. But man, she was she was pretty excited when like this little like Sonic the Hedgehog box showed up with like a toy in it and like food and everything. Like made her yeah. day. It made her day. So that was kind of cool. When you're a kid, Happy Meals are just like the greatest thing we, in the world. We don't eat there a ton. So like the kids, uh, you know, they haven't really had very many of those. So it was like a, it was a special treat. But when you're a parent, you'll see Jonas. You don't. You're not. You're not like getting the like fancy restaurants all that often anymore. All right, we ready? We ready? Uh, Graham wants to know: Do we think the Leafs fans in Tampa will be a factor? Will it be like the Ottawa series in the early 2000s when the Leafs had basically home crowds in in both barns? I, I a lot of there are a lot of Leafs fans down there. Uh, more so in the winter. Um, with all the snowbirds, but there, there's going to be, there's going to be Toronto people that are down there now. Uh, but Tampa's got like relatively good crowds. I think w- Jonas, you might be able to chime in, but I think there's going to be a lot of Leafs fans in the building, but it's not going to be like a Leafs crowd. Yeah. There's always Leaf fans when you go to those games, but I suspect it'll be overwhelmingly Tampa. Yeah. Uh, I like there'll probably be like 1500 lease fans in the building or something like that. Full disclosure. I haven't, I'm not going on the trip. Uh, I am, I am dealing with a bad back, so I do not want to get on a plane for three and a half hours, but, uh, hopefully I can come down there and join you for, for game six. Uh, the, the, it feels like the fans have been a factor in the series so far in the first two games, like especially game one, you know, <laughs> Keith, Keith came out and, and said, you know, they were the first star of the game. So it'll be interesting to see if, if the Tampa getting that home ice where they're really comfortable is how much that's going to help them. Yeah. Credit to the fans. Like they take a lot of shit in Toronto and I mean, it's not undeserved, not like in terms of like that they're doing anything wrong. It's just not a particularly like boisterous crowd, but the crowd in games one and two is awesome into the game, like tracking every play. That's great. That's, that's great. Like that's, that's, that's an advantage. I wish it was like that every night. Uh, Liz has a question that I know is on. I'm going to throw this one at you, Jonas, because I'm not sure about of the answer. She says, did the officiating seem completely unbalanced and unpredictable or am I just too big of a Leafs fan? 
There was a I lot. Think a, so. a lot of fans were very upset with the officiating after that game. I think that I think most of those were penalties. They, they were penalties. I mean, the question, Jonas, is did they did they miss some calls on Tampa? Like there was the one where McKay got thrown into the back of the net. Um, yeah, there, there, there could have been calls for sure. Yeah. There could have been like another call maybe on the Lightning. I just the Leafs got to play smarter. I mean, and that's what the that's what Keith said, and that's what the players said, and. You know, I, I understand that fans are, are frustrated, but like like the Labushkin play, like that's a penalty. Like that's a penalty. Perfect play penalty. That the Labushkin play is the play they've been cracking down on all year. Well, and like the other Simmons one where he cross checks Perry in front of the net, like that's a penalty. Like it it was the 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 Nealander tripping. I think was like a, I think it was a penalty. Didn't he get his his stick in his skates? I'd have to go back and watch that I'm one again. Sure but. He did. I, I don't, like, as a rule, I don't like complaining about the officiating every, like, two games. Like, I just, I find it, it gets old really fast. And if you, you know, I've been watching the, I've been watching much of the other series, Jonas. I was watching, I watched Edmonton and, and LA last night. I was, the triple overtime, I was watching Pittsburgh and the Rangers. The hockey's been, it's been so good. I mean, there's mistakes made in, in all of these series. And that's, that's going to be life, is that there's going to be some things that they, they, call that you don't like and some things that they miss and i i don't think that the officiating in this series has been particularly egregious by nhl standards it's been tightly officiated is what i'd say yeah and i mean you can't have it both ways because like a lot of the complaints during the regular season is like why aren't they calling these things and then in past playoffs it's like they they don't call as much and then people don't like that so like i don't know i don't know what the right answer is uh, M.M., who is, is not Mitch Marner, someone, then it, the name is just M.M., wants to know, uh, just being on the road and not having last change, how much should that change the lineup? Uh, did Keefe approach, here, you can answer this one, Jonas. Did Keefe approach line construction, construction differently on the road this year than at home? Seems like it would be nice to have a defensive line to bury in the D zone. I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit, but during the regular season, did you see a lot of that, that the deployment was quite a bit different on the road versus at home? He It didn't matter as much to him, it seemed, in the second half because he was looking to get that depth offensively where he had Kampf and Engvall playing together and with Nylander, and they were starting a lot in the D zone. But that's kind of where I'm at a little bit. And what we talked about earlier is I... I just love the ability of that Camp Mikheyev Engvall combination, and he used it a bunch in game two. And like every time in my notes, I noted when they used it and what happened. And every single time that I wrote it down, what happened? They got the puck, they got out, and they were in the offensive zone. Like every time. And so I think like if you can get that dynamic in Tampa, that's a win for you. That's that's where I'd go. It's just the effect we talked about before is like. Can you survive with Tavares and Neander and Kerfoot playing together again? I would take that chance because I don't know that it works otherwise. But we'll see. Like we're not going to know. I don't think we're going to know until I guess Friday morning because they're not going to skate today. So we'll have to wait and see. Follow Jonas in our app. If you don't have the app yet, then what are you doing? You got to get the app. Even if you're not a subscriber, get the app because there's lots of stuff in there that even if you're not a subscriber, you can read. Like Jonas will have the, the line combinations from from the skates and we, we usually post stats and quotes and things like that and <clears throat> excuse me in there as well. Um, 
Well, lots of good questions today. I don't know how we're going to get to all of these. I only posted this morning, Jonas, at like, it was like seven in the morning. And I said, get your questions in, in the next three hours. And somehow we have like 40 questions and it's great. Great, great, great to see that. Uh, Tim B, this is, this is an interesting question. I'd be curious what you think about this, Jonas. Uh, he's got a question about the post-game press conference. He says, is it too difficult to ask questions that may be seen as confrontational when you rely on a relationship with players to do your job? Simmons took two needless penalties last night. There wasn't a single direct question about why he wasn't able to keep his emotions in check at a critical part of the year. I don't blame him for the loss. I'm just curious about the relationship between the players and the press. Well, that's not totally true. He was asked about the penalties. It's just like your job is not to go in there and be like, you're not, you know, uh, a lawyer talking to someone on the witness stand. Like you're not going in there to like accuse them of anything. You know what I mean? Like you're not going in there to be confrontational. Yeah. Sometimes fans want you to be like angrier, but like there's no emotion in it for us. And And if there is, you're not doing your job right, to be honest. Like we're not. I understand the fans are upset and like angry at Simmons, but we're not like, we're just, we're not, you know? And like Jonas and I get accused of being fans and stuff on Twitter and whatever. It's, it's not true. Like we, we're not invested in the outcome. So, um, it's not so much a relationship with the player. It's about, I think you watch the way that the, that press conference unfolds. Simmons comes and takes full ownership of what happened. And he said, you know, that I, I screwed up basically. And it's on me. So what are you going to do? You're going to like angrily ask him about it again? Like, he, yeah, like what do you say? How could you do that? Like, how could you be so like you, what? That's not. I mean, he, the other part he, about it, James, like you know, is what else like, is he going to say? I mean, he he came else, out yeah. and said like I I screwed up. So well, and, and the other thing is like in a in a setting like that, uh, nuance and like you're yeah. not really able to, to kind of converse with the person. Like if it was a little small scrum in the dressing room. You could have a more reasonable conversation, and, and well, we miss like have, that a little. We're not in the dressing room right now. Like, there's not. It's it's all press conferences, and it can. It, it's it's That's harder one of the downsides. Like you, you know, if, you can't get into that. Yeah, if you could go up to Simmons after the game, I mean, he would have been the perfect player to go talk to for like ten minutes after the game. If you could just talk one on one and get into like some of those things, and if you're standing right in front of him face to face, and and your tone and everything like that is very clear, you know, he can tell if. He can tell if you're being unfair or not. Whereas, you know, if you're sitting at the back of a press conference, you're yelling something out. You know, it's it, it it's just we've talked about this before in the podcast. It's not conducive to having a conversation when you're in one of those press conferences and there's like ten cameras that are rolling and the you know the guy can't even tell sometimes who's who's asking. And but I thought that you know I watched that presser and I thought Simmons was very kind of contrite that he screwed up and that he contributed to the loss so i don't know that (laughs) i don't know that there should have been journalists in there that were angrily yelling at him to be more contrite i don't know like i thought i i I don't i think he he had accountability there uh let's do a few more uh jeff says uh my grandfather was 35 years old in 1967 he was at the gardens uh when the leafs hoisted their most recent cup uh, he's now 89 years old. He's still a huge fan. Uh, he wears bab socks and he has a Jersey. Uh, can you send word <laughs> to your contacts at MLSC that they need to win the damn thing for Grampy Alec from Cape Breton? Uh, <laughs> that question makes me think of, so my dad's a Canucks fan. My dad, he, he turns 70 years old. So happy birthday, dad. If you're listening to the show, he turned 70 years old this weekend and, uh, he's been a Canucks fan for 
50 was it 52 years now and they've never won the damn thing and they've been to they've been to three finals and the two game sevens in the finals and never gotten it done and you know hopefully they the canucks at some point can win for him because it'd be great to see uh i hope they i hope for your sake as i said jonas and i are not leafs fans but i hope for grampy alex's sake he gets to see uh, a championship at some point uh jordan wants to know do you think it's possible for the Leafs to win the series with John Tavares being a non-factor offensively as long as he provides decent effort on defense given that aspect of his game has improved in recent years uh, I'm concerned about a Tavares Nylander combo on the road but maybe having Mikheyev on their wing helps that out a bit thoughts on what's necessary to, for Tavares to get going and whether or not they can they can win without his contributions, Jonas. I think they can win without his contributions. Like if Matthews and Martin harder keep this up, it's just it's just harder. Like you're saying, it's interesting how that narrative kind of kind of took shape a little bit that that he's become so much better defensively. It it doesn't really track with numbers. Well, and I think people need to with Tavares. The thing that I think gets missed is that he's playing relatively easy minutes. Yeah for an $11 million center. Like he's, you know, because of the camp line and because of the Matthews line, you look at quality competition, you look at the zone starts and all those kinds of things. I mean, the fact that the defensive results are still average at best in those situations is to me is a little bit of a red flag. Yes. So that, so that's why like if, if he's not going to be, if they're not going to be able to count on him defensively and they're not really, then like they need him to give something to them offensively. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. And that's why I'd get Neilander back with him and try to hope that they can score a little bit and he can get going. I think that that makes but, sense. We'll see. We'll like we'll see what they do. And like obviously he's been a he's been had a pretty good year on the power play. So did Neilander. So, um, you, so your third line would be what? Uh so I guess in my head Kerfoot Kampf, I, Kasha? No, no Engvall. I'm Kerfoot, missing Engvall. Camp Engvall. Or you put Kerfoot with Tavares and Neilander, risks aside, or you put Kasha with Tavares and Neilander, and you get back together that Mikheyev Camp Engvall line, which is just like a monster. I don't mind the idea of, of Kasha getting more time in the offensive zone, kind of in some of those those easier minutes, just because it just looks yeah. like his his like mobility is not at full capacity, which makes sense. Well, and what you could do if you did that is you could construct a fourth line of Blackwell, Kerfoot, and if mm. it were me, Spezza, mm. which is a line that actually I think might be able to give them some energy, might be able to score, might be right. able to create some zone time. And that's not a slight on Kerfoot because he's played well in the series. It's just, you know, you're really balancing out your lineup a lot with that. Well, and as you pointed out, like one of the issues, like I don't think Blackwell's played that much center the last couple of years. Am I wrong? No. No, and but they need and he's not great center. on draws either. Like his, you know, he's not a big guy, yeah. and so yeah, playing him as a center is not ideal, especially on the road, and especially if you're going to give them some some tough minutes. Well, one other thing I should mention, James, that I could see them doing is I could see them going to that Engvall Kerfoot Neander combo, mm-hmm. and then putting Camp on the fourth line and mm-hmm. just burying that line. And so maybe like you'd play Camp Blackwell. Yeah, but if they want Clifford to play, they're not gonna and they're not gonna want to yeah. dial Comp's minutes back that yeah. much. 
a conundrum. I guess we're, we're not going to know till Friday morning at the skate with the what they've decided yeah, to do with the lunchtime. lineup. Lunchtime. Yep. Well, like I said, stay tuned to the app and Jonas will have all your info there as soon as that becomes available. Scott wants to know, I, mean, I think you answered this on the podcast, the last podcast. He wants to know, is the fourth line actually better with Clifford or is that just Keefe speak? Uh, there is definitely some of the uh, the underlying numbers that are better. The other question but, that, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say the the other ingredient to those fourth lines is Blackwell. Like when, when Clifford hasn't had Blackwell, which was most of the season, he was not effective. So I don't know what that means. Well, well, Keith kind of said like the last. He said like the last twenty games of the season, the best fourth he's line right. they had. The best fourth line they had was with Clifford. Yeah, that was right. that was what he had said. Um, Scott also asks, uh, how do you not put Spezza back in when he was one of their three best forwards in the twenty one playoffs? I, he was really good. Like, and remember when they were like backs against the wall and and playing like crap and like they really he needed Dean Kukin. Remember that. <laughs> I was going to say in the Montreal series, and I mean, one oh, yeah, of the, that's Columbus, right? Right, right. My favorite story I did during the playoffs last year was I talked to Jason Spetz's dad and did a story about because he had a big goal in the third game, I think, of the playoffs or second game. Maybe was, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the games, early games in the series, Spetz had a big goal and, and made an impact. And I talked to his dad, and it was a lot of fun talking about how. This story was really about how a lot of people in Dallas were kind of writing Spezza off as if, you know, he was done and then look at the renaissance he had had in Toronto and Spezza has not had as good of a regular season as uh, he did the other years. So maybe that's part of it. But I just think that he's elevated his game in the playoffs two years in a row. I think you've got to give him a chance. Yeah. You know what the, the question really should boil down to is who has a better chance of helping us win this game? And if the answer, and so like, let's say it's Spezza, Simmons, Clifford. I don't know how you don't land on Spezza. Like, who has a tangibly better chance of helping you win the game? Like, I just don't, I don't think you can make the case. Is there a world, Jonas, where you sit Blackwell or Kasha and play Clifford and Spezza and like, maybe like you said, have Kerfoot on the fourth line? Those lines have not been good. Yeah. So I would not do that. I don't, I wouldn't play, like, they're, they've done this. Like, I wouldn't play two of... Clifford and Simmons. Well, I'm not saying they're going to play two. I'm, I'm, I think that Clifford's going to be the one that comes in for Simmons. But then, how do you get Spezza in the lineup? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't think they're both going to play. But one of them. I only. Play. I guess what I sh- what I meant to say is I only want one of the old guys in the lineup. And if I'm picking, it's Spezza. Like he, I, there's a legitimate chance he can score you a goal, and that helps you win a game. That like I don't think that that's happening with those other guys. Well, maybe he so can. Like, beat, maybe he can beat up Dean Kukin again. Who's the Dean? Who's the Dean Kukin of the Tampa Bay Lightning? The Dean Kukin is already out of the lineup. That was Jan Ruta. Jan Ruta got a bit of a beating. Jan Ruta got Dean Kukin there in Game One. Yeah. (laughs) Corey says, "When is Keith going to stop trying to make his team into a goon squad? The Leafs' identity is not muck it up hockey. If he dice a fourth line with some skill, like what we're talking about, uh, instead of bruises, they may not get destroyed. Agree or disagree? We're with you." I understand what they're thinking, though. They're thinking that if the game gets out of hand and is goofy and like maroon and Perry are but running all around, point, and who cares? Like, well, they, what if they do it in the first five minutes of the game? What, like, what does having those guys do? Like, it happened in game one. You know what? Part of this, what I think, Jonas is do? that doesn't get talked about a lot is that this is kind of like Keith likes and understands and 
played this kind of a, like he was he was he wasn't he was a a skilled player but he was also pretty physical and he would i mean there were games where he would get suspended in in junior and things like that like i think i think Keith buys into some of the need for toughness in situations like this it feels like they may have overthought this like he mentioned going back and watching Tampa's cup run and how many post whistle skirmishes and all that stuff and it's like we need to react to that. And they and need they need the toughness in their top three lines, not just like the like fringe guys in the lineup. Like they they need. Well, their- and I think they're getting it, James. Like I I've noticed like little things like Kerfoot's like Engvall Kerfoot's was in tough. Engvall's in there. Even Neilander, there was like a really funny moment where Neilander was getting into it with Perry, and I was like, I've never seen that. Like Neilander was like chirping back and forth with Perry and Perry. I love Perry. Like, I think he's so much fun to watch. I'm sure Leaf fans <laughs> hate him right they, now. But they do. He's awesome. He's Jud- so fun to watch. Judging from my mentions, they, I get like texts from friends of mine who are Leafs fans like, oh, we can't lose to Corey Perry. <laughs> he's such a little ship. And he's so good at what he does. Uh, Rick says, Rick, yeah, well, I know we're, we're running low here. Uh, Zach wants to know, what are you? What are our thoughts on Jack Campbell thus far? One shutout in one game where he allowed five goals. We haven't talked about Campbell at all on the podcast, so maybe we can end on that question. There's so many here where I don't think we're going to get to all of them, but uh, what do we think of of Jack Campbell's play so far? I think he's been really good. Yeah. Like, I think he, uh, even the goals he gave up in game two, like, I don't know how many you can really say he was bad on. Like, I don't think they've had any bad goals. You know what I mean? Well, the headman one, he's not going to stop that. That's like point blank. You know, headman makes a great move. Kucherov like through traffic and a really nice shot. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other. Yeah. I, I think, I think Campbell's been really, really solid. You know, I think he's been good enough for them to win the series. If, if, if they stop taking dump penalties. Yeah. Well, you want any more or are we done? We are done. I got to get to the airport. All right. Well, safe travels, Jonas. You know, my my tip is always uh, don't don't be afraid to uh, buy yourself something nice to eat or drink on, on the air, airplane. It makes a big difference. Okay, that's a great idea. Try and upgrade uh, your try and upgrade your seat to a bigger one. Get that get that emergency row. Yeah, I don't have the same length problems as you do. Oh my god, Those small seats. I can't, seats e- I can't even spaces. sit in a normal seat anymore. So now I got a bad back and and my. My height works against me, so... Maybe they should just, like, wheel you in there like Hannibal Lecter, just, like, on one of those things. Maybe they don't need the mask. I feel like that lately. This thing I've got, I've... You know, the doctor's like, you can't sit. You have to either be lying down or standing up. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Like, how do you eat dinner or, like, how do you do a podcast if you can't sit? (laughs) So, it's been an an interesting uh, week without being able to sit down. All right. Well, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic, give it a shot. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report. We'll be back, I believe, after game three. So that'd be on Saturday at some point. Um, Clarice, it was it was great. It was fun to chat. Uh, talk in a couple days. I thought I was Hannibal Lecter, not Clarice. That oh, would yeah. Be, I guess that I'm would... Clarice. Yeah. Wow. Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> See you, James. See ya.